Good morning, church. It's always a privilege and an honor to stand before you guys uh, to proclaim God's truth. Um, I'm always in amazement that God would choose a sinner such as myself to proclaim his truth to other sinners. And I think that's a, just an amazing uh, thing. So that's my task this morning, uh, is to proclaim the word of God to you all. Uh, this morning, we'll be in the book of Haggai, which is in the Old Testament. Haggai is, is part of the collection of books referred to as the Minor Prophets. It's toward the end of the Old Testament. It's called uh, the Minor Prophets because, not because of its significance, um, but because of uh, its size. It's only two chapters. It's not as big as the other uh, major prophet books such as Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah. So we'll be in chapter 1 of the book of Haggai, verse 1 through 11. I'll give you a little bit of time to turn there. So Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. It reads this way, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, in the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Let us look to God this morning for him to offer us help. Uh, to understand uh, this text. Let us pray. Father, we come to you thanking you for this time where we can go into your word. There's nothing of greater importance than hearing uh, from you. And we pray, God, that you would open up our eyes, open up our ears, Lord, to, hear, to, to see, to, to hear. Lord, soften our hearts. Make us ready to receive your word this morning. And I pray, God, that we would receive it for what it really is. And that is the word of God. We thank you. And we ask you these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So this morning, the title of my sermon is Get Your Priorities in Order. Get Your Priorities in Order. I want to start off with a, with a confession. Get ready for this. My confession is this. I am a big fan of battle rap. A big fan of battle rap. Now, most of you probably don't even know what I'm referring to. But so let me, let me paint the picture to you. So you have these two artists on the stage, on the big stage under the bright lights, right? And they, they're competing against each other. They're trying to uh, win over the crowd. They're, they're, they're rapping against each other. And their job is to, 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 to win over the crowd, to control the room. And they do this for three rounds by reciting their rhymes that they've memorized. I think it's a very, it, it, I, I love it, right? It's an it's a, it's a art form to it. It's a certain science. Trell knows this, right? Now, don't judge me. You can actually blame Trell because he introduced me to battle rap a few years ago. So, I love it. Now, my wife, on the other hand, we could say that she has no interest whatsoever in battle rap. She thinks it's stupid. We could say that my wife is apathetic towards battle rap. To be apathetic is to show a lack of interest, a lack of concern, a lack of enthusiasm. Now, as Christians, one of the great dangers we have to guard against is what is known as spiritual apathy. What I mean by spiritual apathy is to be, to be apathetic towards the things of God, towards God himself. So to show a lack of interest, a lack of concern, a lack of enthusiasm when it comes to God, when it comes to the things of God. I wonder how many of us have felt this way in the past, or how many of us are currently feeling this way uh, this morning. My fellow Christians, are you growing cold towards God? Have you lost interest in the gospel? You know that great message of salvation that Christ Jesus has come to save sinners? How, who among us this morning has lost interest in that message? I wonder how many of us ha have lost uh, interest and, and lack concern when it comes to growing in godliness, when it comes to pursuing holiness. Do you lack, in, do you lack enthusiasm when it comes to communing with God, meeting with, meeting with him in his word? in prayer? Do you lack enthusiasm when it comes to gathering with the people of God, coming together as the church? The most spiritual person among us can be affected by spiritual apathy. This is very commonplace among God's people. And make no mistake about it, it's no trivial thing. This is what we see happening in the book of Haggai. Haggai was one of God's prophets. The prophets in the Old Testament, they received direct revelation from God. And their job was to, whatever they received from God, the word that God spoke to them, their job was to, in turn, give it to the people. You know, God in his grace and in his mercy, whenever Israel would be forgetful, when they would forget uh, who God is and, and when they would forget uh, his will for their lives, God in his grace and his mercy would send prophets to remind them of his character, of his will uh, for their lives. 
So Haggai, he's in chapter one, he's speaking to a people that just returned from captivity. If you remember Israel's history in the Old Testament, for 70 years they were in captivity. God judged them for their idolatry, for their rebellion against God, their disobedience. And he judged them by the hand of the Babylonians, sent them into captivity. So now this people have returned to their homeland under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest. Now when they got to their homeland, everything was good. There was a, a level of excitement. They, they were happy to be back home. They, they, they wanted to rebuild the temple and they got off to a great start. They had a celebration because they quickly rebuilt the foundation of the temple, so they celebrated their accomplishment. Now, the temple was significant, why? Because this was, the temple was the place where the people gathered to worship God. This was, the, this was where the corporate worship of God took place. Now, their success was short-lived because as they were building the temple, they faced opposition from their neighbors, the Samaritan. And just a, just a quick word of wisdom, anytime we set out to do anything for God, to do God's will, we will face opposition in this life. We will face opposition from our great enemy, Satan. This is what Israel experienced as they were building the temple. The Samaritans, they feared that Israel would regain power. So they got them, they compelled them to abandon their work of rebuilding God's temple. The Samaritans went as far as enlisting the governing authorities, the help of the governing authorities to put an end uh, to the work of rebuilding the temple. Now in this temple, this project of rebuilding the temple, it lay dormant for 16 years. 16 years, that's a long time. And during these 16 years, check this out, while they abandoned the work of rebuilding the temple, Israel began to rebuild the city. They started rebuilding their homes and rebuilding businesses, among other things. So they, they became very comfortable during this, during this 16 years. Look at verse 2 of our text. It says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. You see, the people were busy living life. They were focused on self. They were more interested in their own personal affairs and seeking their own comfort than they were in obeying God. In the midst of life being lived, Israel forgot about the most important thing, and that is the worship of God. Church, it is possible for us to be so caught up with living life, for us to be so caught up with doing religious things, for us to be so caught up with, with the, the daily grind of life that we forget about God. For those 16 years, God was not a priority for the people of Israel. Look at verse 4. Haggai asked the people, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? You see, although the people were living this life of comfort, Spiritually, they were growing indifferent toward God. How did the people find themselves in this position of, of spiritual apathy? They didn't just wake up one day and become cold 
toward God. Sin is never that way. It was a subtle process. Israel grew apathetic toward God because their priorities were misplaced. And that's really the main point of this passage, is that misplaced or wrong priorities will cause us to be apathetic toward God. And this, in turn, will cause us not to flourish. So, brothers and sisters, therefore, God is calling us to get our priorities in order because God wants his people to flourish. So the question remains, how do we get our priorities in order? So that brings me to my first point. We get our priorities in order first by considering our ways. Right? God wants us to consider our ways. In other words, he wants us to look how we got into this position of spiritual apathy. Let's look at it like this. Have you ever checked your bank account? I do, I do this often. And you look at that balance and it says zero. And if you're anything like me, when you see that zero balance, you start to scratch your head and you're wondering like, man, why, like, where did my money go? And you think by scratching your head, like money is just going to somehow, that's going to change the, the balance. It doesn't, right? It stays at zero. But then you get this moment of clarity when you check your bank statement. You see that, okay, you paid this bill, you paid that bill, you made some unnecessary purchases. And you're like, oh, wow, okay, I see, I see where my money went. Right? God wants us to consider our ways. Look at verse 5. It says, now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. In other words, God is saying, look at your lives. Don't you see what's happening? Don't you see how you got into this position? Don't you see the consequences of your actions, of the choices that you've made? Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says this. You have so much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Israel found themselves lacking. Haggai, he gives a number of, of illustrations in verse 6 dealing with planting, drink, food, clothing. Each illustration showed Israel's lack of satisfaction. Israel's selfish lack of concern for God's house caused them economic and social hardships. Look at verses 9 through 11. It says this. In verse 9, you looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth have withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, and the hills on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast, and on all their labors. So we see here that there's a connection between Israel's lack of flourishing and their disobedience. Generally speaking, generally speaking, obedience to God will result in human flourishing. Now, trust me, this is not some early version of the prosperity gospel. It's not a promise that if we scratch God's back, 
he'll scratch ours. It's not a promise if we do this for God, he's going to do this for God. Right? You, you will never hear me preaching the prosperity gospel. I hate it. And the day that I do preach it, I'm no longer fit to be your elder. Brothers and sisters, this is a basic principle that we see here. And that principle is this. Humans, we function best when our lives are aligned with God's commands. Family, we would all do well today to examine ourselves. This is an important lesson for us all. Too often we fail to consider where we are in life or the direction that we're headed in life. We fail to consider the state of our souls. This is, not, this is not easy to do. Taking stock of your life can be painful at times. But when we consider our lives, we are challenged to consider whether or not we are walking in obedience to God's commands. When we fail to consider the state of our souls, we run the risk of becoming like that rich young man uh, like the rich man in, in Luke chapter 12. Let's turn there real quick. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 15, it says this. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my bonds and build larger ones. And there I will store all and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. You see, the problem with this rich man was that he failed to consider his ways. He was only concerned with his riches. His comfort was more important than doing the will of God. And what did Jesus do in verse 21? He rebukes him. He says this, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? Brothers and sisters, take heed this morning to God's word. He's telling us to consider your ways. Where are your priorities? Are your priorities on the things of God? Or are you only concerned with self? Remember, God is telling us to get our priorities in order. So the second way for us to get our priorities in order is this. We must choose to obey God over our love for comfort and ease. We must choose to obey God over our love for comfort and ease. I recall another story of a rich young man. This young man had many possessions. One day he's face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he asked Jesus, he says, teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? So Jesus, he takes him to the commandments. He says, he reminds him of God's commandments, of the Ten Commandments. And this, this rich man, he says, oh, look, Jesus, I, I, I've done all these things since a youth. What, what else do you have for me? So Jesus, he tests this young man. And he tells him, sell all that you have and come and follow me. Now, 
This rich man, he grew sorrowful at those words. And the sad thing about this story is that we never hear about this young man again. He walked away from Jesus. You see, Jesus demanded that this young man put him first. The young man failed to make Jesus a priority. This young man, this rich ruler preferred his life of comfort and riches over following Jesus. Look again at our text in verse 4 of our text. Lost my place a little bit. Here we go. Verse 4. It says, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? It says that the people were living in paneled houses. This implied that the people were very comfortable. Their homes were furnished with the most expensive decor. Think of shopping at furniture stores like Pier 1 in, in Nouveau. I don't shop there. I shop at, you know, I care will, will suffice. That's, that's, that's cool for me. But, but you, you get my point, right? Their houses were decorated with the most expensive things. They're, the people were settled in their homes. They were so comfortable that they told God, look, it's not time to rebuild the temple. We're we good right now. We're, we're living life. It's not time to, to, to be worried about the things of God. Again, verse 2 says, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. You notice how God refers to his chosen people here in the book of Haggai? He says, these people. He doesn't say, my people. God is not happy with Israel. God is not happy with us when we fail to put him first. Now, let's be clear. Haggai is not condemning living a life of luxury and comfort. But what he is condemning is living a life of luxury and comfort at the expense of obeying God's commands. The people were living in comfort while God's house remained in ruins. Obedience is always an issue of the heart. Their heart was cold toward God. If we are apathetic toward God, we will be disobedient to God. With their spiritual apathy, disobedience is right there. Israel was disobedient because they chose to love themselves more than they loved God. And this is clear-cut idolatry. This is clear. And at the center of all idolatry is self. Israel's comfort was top priority. You couple that with the fear of the Samaritans, and this was enough for them to succumb to the pressure of self-preservation. The problem wasn't so much that they abandoned the building of the temple. The problem was that the people abandoned God. Church, God never promised us that following him would be easy. Why do you think Jesus said the way is narrow that leads to life? And few there be that find it. There's a great cost to following Jesus. And I wonder when was the last time you considered that cost? When was the last time that you counted the cost 
of following Christ. To quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Brothers and sisters, in other words, Jesus does not promise us a nice, easy life. But what he does promise us is a cross to die on in eternal life. That's it. We are called to take up our cross daily and follow him. We have to put God first, even at the expense of our own comfort in this life. Failure to do so results in God's displeasure. So what's the next step forward? What should our response be when we find ourselves in this state of spiritual apathy? What should we do when we find ourselves with misplaced priorities? Well, brothers and sisters, that brings me to my third and final point, and that's this. Repent. Repentance. Haggai calls the people to repentance because repentance glorifies God. In verse 7 of our text, he tells the people to consider your ways. This is the second time that he tells them to consider their ways. When we see phrases repeated in Scripture, we should take heed because the author is trying to, to, communicate, uh, to communicate something significant and important to us. Back in verse 5, the people were called to consider their actions and, their, and the consequences of those actions. But now in verse 7, he's calling them to consider your response. What is that response? It's repentance. Look at verse 8. It says, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Repentance is a turning of the heart towards God that leads to a change in behavior. I think John the Baptist put it best when he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Haggai is calling the people to turn their heart from their sin, which was spiritual apathy, and turn toward God. The evidence of their repentance will be seen in their rebuilding the temple. This is a pattern seen throughout Scripture. Heart change leads to behavior change. But we sometimes make the mistake of trying to change our behavior first. That's what you would call putting the cart before the horse. Too often we find it easy to just simply acknowledge our sin and then try to behave our way out of it. Genuine repentance is internal first, and it manifests itself externally. Listening to Amanda's testimony last Sunday, man, that, that really touched me. I was reminded, listening to her testimony at her baptism, what genuine repentance is, what genuine repentance looks like. Amanda, she described how she was addicted to drugs, how she stole, did whatever she had to do to support her drug habit. But then something changed. What happened? Amanda came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Her heart was changed. She turned from the idol of self, of, of, of she turned from the idol of seeking uh, pleasure. She turned from that idol, from those dead things, to turning to the true and living God. And this produced a change in Amanda's life. Her repentance was displayed as she made the choice to turn herself in 
to jail, to prison. And now look at her today, no longer living to please herself. But now she's living to please the Lord Jesus Christ. As I close, the prophet Haggai in verses 9 through 11, he points out to the people that they can actually reject God's call to repentance. Israel could continue to walk in their ways of idolatry as before for those 16 years. But if they do, God will be against them, preventing them from flourishing as God intended for his people to flourish. Today, brothers and sisters, the call is for both Christians and non-Christians to turn from the sin of idolatry, whether that is the idol of, of comfort, pleasure, whatever your idol is, the call is to turn from that idol and turn to Christ. We can't change our idolatrous hearts. Only faith in Jesus Christ can change the heart. Faith in the one who made it his priority to do the will of his father and accomplish salvation for us all today. The call is for us to flee to Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for this word that we found here today in the book of Haggai. Lord, we pray that you would give us grace, God, to turn from the idols that we have created. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to obey you. Let us not seek a life of comfort and ease, for we know that following you, it comes with its hardships, but we know that it is worth it. And I pray, God, that you would work in us, Lord, a desire for you, a desire to do the things that you have commanded us to do. May we not grow apathetic in our relationship to you. Help us, O oh God. Lord, we depend on your mercy. May we leave here with hearts changed. And that change can only be accomplished by your grace. So we ask you, Lord, to be gracious towards us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.